Hey friends, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to be talking about the comics released on January 22nd, 2020. And we're going to kick things off with talking about Batman. This is the second issue of James Tynion IV and Tony Daniels' uh, new run on the book. <laughs> Collar tug. Why is that? It's not because Tony Daniels is not on this issue. He's not? No. What did you Wait, you, you read the whole issue and you thought it was Tony Daniels? I thought he did some of the pages. He didn't do some of the pages? Mm-mm. No. Oh, I thought he did at least a few pages. Oh, I guess not. Jeez, yeah. Awkward. Wow. One issue in, he's gone. I just presumed, like, obviously, there are a bunch of pages that are like the most Guillaume March pages of all time. But I thought uh-huh. that some of them were were Tony Daniel too. That, that's fair. That's fair. I can I can give you that. Yeah. But uh, no, no. Yeah, it was Man. March the whole time. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. I would rather read this comic with <laughs> with the Riddler having basically like this uh, is the, insane. The worst case of scoliosis in human history, <laughs> and also like. The like ma- like technically uh, it's kyphosis. Oh, okay, thank you. Look at look at Mr. Science yeah. over here. <laughs> and also have like have like uh D'Angelo uh pelvic bones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're vagina yeah. bones. They're vagina bones, yes they are. Do you, um, do you, are you guys familiar with that? No. Okay, I won't explain it. No, no, you have to. <laughs> no, everyone should just go Google vagina bones and, uh, and find out themselves. I don't think I'm gonna do that. This is how our listeners wind up on federal watch lists. <laughs> so okay, so them. vagina bones is is a uh, <laughs> it's um so there was this uh very good video game for the the Wii U just came out on Switch uh called Tokyo Mirage Sessions uh Mirage Sessions man that beer um <laughs> so it um it's a JRPG you know very anime game and it had like some censorship when it came over to the states and one of the uh you know much maligned uh instances of censorship is a, a female character who has kind of uh, she's wearing like a like a bikini swimsuit and has kind of like lines in her like you know upper pubic area, um, indicating just you know like you know I don't know. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> well, the lines were censored in ah. the English version, and so there's a there's a classic tweet, one of the great ones, should be in the Smithsonian one day. Uh, talking about how her pubic bones were censored, and so uh, everyone should go look that up and have a laugh—a classic right. internet chuckle. Yeah, I, I just want more s- than that. <laughs> I just want to say one thing to defend myself here, which is that uh, March draws Slade's pretty face, kind of similar to how Tony Daniel draws, draws Slade's pretty face. Uh, so whatever helps you fair. sleep at night. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so this issue is bonkers, <laughs> uh, especially yeah. like, on the illustration side. So nutty. But kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It is kind of fun. It is weird. I did. So before we get into the things that we liked about the issue, um, I was really kind of bummed that this issue walked back the. Riddler. You're the villain Riddler issue with like an editorial box. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that basically said uh, I tried to change, but <laughs> but it's back to the old me. Yep. <laughs> basically. <laughs> yep. Uh... Uh, Lord help me. I tried to change. Uh Actually, that's what the box should have said. Yeah. I would have been so delighted. <laughs> this, this is proof that DC doesn't listen to us, by the way. Um, yeah, I was disappointed about that, too. In fact, that was one of the only things about this issue that really disappointed me. Um, because I remember talking about that issue on the show and how interesting that ending was. And how I think I said, like, oh, I, I can't wait to see what... Uh, where the Riddler's at the next time we see him. It turns out basically where you would expect him to be, except with well, a question, question mark shaped spine. Um, well, I will say though, the last time we saw the Joker, he was, you know, stupid, sexy, burly Joker from the Tom King run. And now he has devolved into this thing. And like, it may Riddler. not be. Yeah, that's what I meant. I meant Riddler, one beer, not... huh? Yeah, just one. I know it's crazy. Um, yeah, so you know, the last time we saw Riddler in Tom King's run, he was stupid, sexy with the yeah. sideburns, um, and I did not. I mean, the trajectory from the Tom King run to that year, the villain one shot to this is wild. Um, but I'm here for it. Yeah. Why is he naked? Why is he walking around naked in this? I don't know. He's fucked up in the head, which he is. is which is fine. It makes it interesting. Um, yeah, I this issue. I, there are people out there that said that Tom King's Batman was really great because it was different. There was never a, a Batman book like it, and I suppose that's true. Um, it just wasn't almost ever what I think a Batman book should be, and that's you know personal preference type thing this is almost exactly what i think the average batman book should be you know um i i this felt like you know since i've read a thousand issues of detective comics this felt like some of those prime issues of detective comics where kind of all the villains of gotham are operating at once and they're all kind of doing their own thing, but they're also intermingling. And I, Gotham feels alive, you know, in 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 some ways. And I, I really like that. I think Tynion is capturing what's so great about Batman's Rogues Gallery by doing it this way. I, I agree with that for sure. I think that this definitely feels the most. Um... I hate to sound like uh, like every shitty film critic, but Gotham's a character in this book, you know. But it, it just does feel it just does feel like like there's a there's a real sense of of what Gotham is and isn't in this title right now. Whereas I feel like in Tom King's run, you just didn't get that. I was gonna try and elaborate further, but you just didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And and you know, the the only thing I'll say is that this is kind of uh, more more dark and and gritty and grim than I would like my average comic to be, but that's a that's a minor complaint because I think Guillaume March 
Guillaume March is clearly focused on making this look as fucked up as possible, I think. <laughs> and he's doing a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really sells like the dark, sinister. He mixes it well with a little bit of goofy, you know? Well, he goes so over the top that you come around the other side of being, oh, this isn't dark, this is ridiculous. It, yeah, yes. That's a yeah, it is. great way of it saying is. it. Yeah. Um, and one thing I liked about this issue, and I think it's it's not necessary. So this issue, I think, has the illusion of change, and it's not any kind of like lasting change because this is all like tied up in weird editorial driven events and things. But I thought this issue was interesting, you know, because you've got Alfred gone. And so you've got Lucius in that role. Gordon is off being infected. So you've got Bullock as the commissioner and it, you know, you've got Catwoman, um, be, you know, her and, and Bruce are working together because they're together now. And I, I just I like it all. It's really nice. Yeah, this definitely feels like the first issue of Batman we've gotten in a while where it's not leading into a new status quo, but is rather just the new status quo. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this issue. I mean, what what's interesting to me is that I, I think that March like on the, on the pages with with Penguin or Riddler, he goes so nutty, but he really pulls back and shows some restraint in some of the other pages. Like there's a page with uh, Batman and Bullock on the roof, that mm. is maybe one of the more understated March pages we've gotten ever, or at least in a long time. And I like how e- even the scenes that take place in that new like Supermax prison area. He's not doing the crazy March thing with every panel. He really shows a lot of um, a lot of restraint in those pages, and the work is varied. It's it's a really really good. He does a really good job with this with the various tones of this issue, and uh, like I said, I was I was so convinced it wasn't him because of how toned down it was. But then you turn to a page like page seventeen where Batman's giving a nut face for the ages. <laughs> and you, uh, and you know, and you realize, oh no, this is our pal Guillaume. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he turns it back on for the Cheshire. Uh, uh, that's almost chase, like chase sequence. That's almost like Neil Adams esque. Oh, yes. it's yeah, but like good Neil. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. Fantastic. Um. Yeah, and and you know. Praise be, but Batman uh, manages not to kill Cheshire in the end by running her into a semi truck. Uh, I don't know not about dead. that. Not I don't dead. know. I don't still, know. Still no lives on my man's hands. <laughs> she looks like she could be pretty close uh, to dead. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's only a flesh wound. She got. <laughs> she got better. Yeah. <laughs> she will get better. Yeah. Because of the metaverse, it'll it, she'll be better. <laughs> Cheshire is the center of the metaverse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> everyone knows that. Cheshire. Everyone knows that. Come on, guys. Um. So, uh, I, I, without looking at the solicits, no one can look ahead. How many issues will Tony Daniel have done on this book by June? Let's say. 
Well, we can't even but we can't even believe that the solicited artist is the one who's going to end up on the book. That's true, but still, what do you think? Come June, Three. how many issues will he have done? Three. I oh, I guess just to say a different number, I'll say four. I'm going to say two. I'm going to say two full issues. Maybe he'll maybe he'll split an issue or two with somebody, but there will only be two issues that he does by himself. Because we know Jimenez is coming in in March, I believe. And Jimenez works pretty fast. So I can't imagine him doing less than a month or two's worth of worth of books, you know. Yeah. At a stretch. So... Man, I gotta say though that for the public discourse, that shit works when you like launch a new creative team with an artist, and it doesn't matter how many books they draw. For the next six months to a year, the book will be referred to by comics professionals, but by, also just by, by tons like of fans, me, yeah. by tons of fans as like so and so's run run on Batman or so, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you would not believe how many times I saw, uh, Scott Snyder and Jim Chung's just sleep, <laughs> right? Which he drew what two issues of in the end. Uh, it was slightly more than that. that, but not, not much more. Right. Yeah. And, and still, it was only like the first issue issue and a half that that first arc, you know, cause he would pop in and out. He didn't even do a whole arc. Right. Right, yeah. yeah. So, I, it that stuff works. Good on DC and Marvel for figuring out that that actually works. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it is a shame though because there's just no matter how good fill in art is, to me there is something so satisfying about having a five or six issue run with the same creative team. Yeah. And we don't, we just don't get that very much anymore. And, and being able to, to, to think about how a writer and an artist together may have developed a concept, you know, you you don't, you don't get that feeling when an artist does one or two or maybe even three issues of a book and then is never seen again. Then it's like, okay, well, how much input did the artist really, really have, you know, or, or right. I don't, I don't know how it works. I mean, I think that, that a lot of that has probably over the past 25 years been, been downplayed from what it used to be anyway, but you sure. can't even, you can't even put up the facade of that anymore. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, hopefully, uh. Hopefully we get, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what the last book that we got that really had sustained artwork on it is. I'm sure there are books I'm not reading. Like I'm sure Red Hood Outlaw has looked remarkably consistent, but most of the books I, I don't read... even know. Well, yeah, I guess Pete Woods has been on that for a long time, hasn't he? I think so. Yeah, but yeah. Whoever, whoever was on it this week was some... Uh, uh, Oh, who was the original artist on that? Um, like New Fifty Two original? Ken, Ken, Kenneth Kenneth Rockefeller. Kenneth Rockefeller, yeah. It's somebody oh, yeah, doing yeah. it's somebody doing a Kenneth Rockefeller impre- a really bad Kenneth Rockefeller impression. Ooh, yeah. 
my apologies to the artist for saying that, but it's true. Now I now I have to look this up. So yeah, yeah. Look, flip through a couple of pages of that. Yeah, and, talk amongst yourselves and tell, and tell me it's not. Yeah. So just to wrap up the the tiny and Batman talk, I think it's interesting that we're two issues into this and they keep mentioning the designer, right? And we still haven't seen the designer. Is that right? Yes. Uh, by the way, the artist is um, Paolo. Well, Pant- we don't have to name names Pantalena. here. No, but, but I'm saying that for a reason because they are not credited on the cover. <laughs> oh yeah. Does it say Kenneth Rockford? No, it says Messina. I presume they mean from Loggins and Messina. Uh, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins, yes. And Jim Messina. Your mama don't dance. Your daddy don't rock and roll. And other shitty songs like that. Anyway, go ahead, Vince. Sorry. Uh, well, I just I just was asking about the designer, right? We haven't seen hide nor hair of the designer yet. I don't believe so. No. No, but we have seen Punchline. We have seen Punchline now. Tell the folks who Punchline is. Paul, Paul, you ever you ever hear a Punchline? You ever see Punchline? Uh, is is that a Batman character? Mm, Punchline. And then the CBS Orchestra plays uh, four bars of uh, Tears of a Clown or something. Uh, no, of the Joker by Steve Miller Band. <laughs> there Come you on. go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so let's talk about Shazam. Shazam number 10, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Scott Collins and Dale Eaglesham. Um, we get some, there is some serious DC3 nip uh, <laughs> towards the end of this issue. Which uh, I'm really, I'm really kind of sad that it got spoiled for me. Yeah. Yeah, if, if we had seen this in the... Uh, if we had seen this in, in in the real world, it would have been pretty crazy. Yeah. IRL. I, I, I hate the way that marketing works. Well, this wasn't even actually... This was just like the artist who... No, it was actually uh, Sin. Um, you know, the, the Japanese artist? Yes. Yeah. Who, who did that one she, backup that we loved? Yeah, from that one... She, like, retweeted... Um, an image of that cover and is i don't think it's actually even been solicited yet or maybe it just got solicited i think um, it yeah. just was solicited yeah but you um, know you know none of that happens without dc's approval you know yeah i guess so but it it, it surprised me that it happened kind of early um but uh but yeah actually i think it was maybe solicited last month no i think it was just this most recent one if i'm it, pretty positive no, because I'm looking at the cover for I have the solicits in front of me, and Shazam twelve it's not, was solicited. It's not this. It's not here. Thirteen is the one with Superboy Prime then on it. It hasn't been solicited yet. It wasn't in this month. No, it's next month's. Oh, uh, okay. So it's still not been solicited then. Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, if we're talking about Superboy Prime. Who's been locked in uh, this like giant the the dungeon of eternity? Yes, which is essentially this prison in the uh, in the rock of eternity. 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, for one, am very excited to see Superboy Prime back. I also think that Shazam is a really good book for Superboy Prime to be a part of. And, obviously, the Jeff Johns connection doesn't hurt. But I think even even without that, it's a it's the perfect book for that character to show up in. Yeah. Yes, no, maybe so. I well, totally, I've got I totally I've agree. got some theories about it. Lay it on us. So this issue talks about a crisis in the Magic Lands that led to the merging of oz and wonderland of wizard of oz and alice in wonderland fame Mm -hmm. and in the same issue we find um you know superboy prime in this cage in the monster lands um and it makes me wonder if john's is up to some up to some crisis shenanigans boy that that is interesting Would we presume also that that also would... go, oh, ahead, go ahead? No, you go first. Well, I was gonna say, second thing, I kind of wonder if he's gonna try to redeem Superboy Prime and make him the seventh Shazam member. <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty oh, great. Wouldn't that be like the most John thing ever? Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah. Anyway, what were you what were you gonna say, Brian? Well, what I was gonna say is, do you th- if he's doing some sort of crisis shenanigans, do you think that's gonna all be contained within this book? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm surprised this book is going past twelve issues, so I have no idea. So, so am I. But I'm also I would think that if Johns is gonna be doing anything like that, it would be just contained to this book, or maybe to this I would book think so and too, one yeah. other. You know, like maybe there'll be a yeah something else going on. But I want to talk about the sort of the the Shazam family, as they're called in this issue, uh, which is such a dumb name. Um, how are you guys feeling about the the team as a superhero team at this point? Um, I mean, they're... We... <sighs> I, I was about to say fun. we don't really. Yeah, I think it's fine. I was gonna say we don't really see them superheroing that much, but maybe that's not necessarily true. We really just only ever see them fighting, like Black Adam or the Seven Deadly Sins. In the real world, I should say, like in on Earth, they never do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, they never interact with anybody else. It seems like so. Um, I I just I have no idea where Johns is going with this book. Well, that that's part of my question. But but first, um, Vince, what do you think of them as sort of a superhero team? I mean, I think it's fun. I I I think I think I'm I've been primed to uh, enjoy this sort of thing by John's all along going back to, I mean, this is kind of what he's been trying to do for years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's fine. So here, here's my, my commentary on, on the team at this point. First of all, even though I am an old school Shazam Captain Marvel guy, I really like this, 
this family dynamic. I think it's a good one going forward, and I hope that DC doesn't abandon this idea. Um, and so what I'm saying is not a, they should go back to the Mary and Freddie and Billy and that's it type of thing. My concern is that I don't know all that much about these characters that I didn't learn in the original Justice League backups. What was that? Gosh, almost 10 years ago now. There's been such little character development for these characters, and there's been such little demonstration of what their powers are if their parent if their powers are not just like carbon copies of what uh, Billy does. We, we just don't know anything about them as characters. And I know it's a big cast to try and develop, but I don't think they've really developed anybody, they being Johns. Um, you know, really at all since since the book started. Maybe we got a little bit with Eugene and Pedro when they were in the Gamerlands or whatever that's called. Um, maybe there's a little bit there, but really not. And so Marvel's gamer gamerverse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um and so like Zach said, he has no idea where this book is going, and I agree because I have no idea what the book's sort of purpose is supposed to be right now besides just um checking off the box of like oh it's a shazam book that's not saying i don't enjoy it i do i just wish that there was a better sense of both who the characters are and what the book is supposed to be yeah you know i have a total like nonsense theory about the purpose question okay go for it um i i think that part of the reason that this book has been delayed so much is because maybe due to like John's shifting position in the company or like, um, you know, the way that doomsday clock was delayed and maybe that messed with some of his plans for the book. I think that he has kind of done some retooling with where the book is going. I feel like this Superboy prime reveal was not in the cards originally. That's, that's my belief my personal belief system. You may not be wrong about that. That seems reasonable to me. Um, but in that regard, I kind of like where it's heading now. <laughs> so can I speak a little bit to what you're talking about, Brian? No, Absolutely. Yeah. No. I'm going to keep interrupting you. No, it's okay. No, no, you, you didn't. Um, I just think, you know, whether you're talking about Marvel or DC, I think that's what comics are now. I don't think they take time to stop and build character very often. Um, and I think it's kind of a response. I feel like it's in some ways a response to criticism uh, from fans over decompression or the this idea that oh nothing happened in this issue you know like I, I feel like when the like in the 2000s maybe mid 2000s there was a lot of criticism about oh nothing is happening in some of these comics everything's so decompressed and I, I feel like an industry-wide uh, response to that at least in superhero comics has been okay, well, we're not going to stop the decompression thing, but now we're going to give you what you want where every single story is uh, maximum, like, stakes, 
maximum action. We're not going to stop to do a ton of character work. We're going to get a little bit here and there in while we can. But everything is going to be go, go, go. Um, And I I think reading, I've been reading some of the tie-ins to the Crisis on Infinite Earths Earths stuff uh, for our future podcast that we're going to do on Crisis. And there's so much character work being done in some of these uh, tie-in books the likes of which you would never see today where everything today is okay. We got to move on. We got to move on. We got to move on. Status quo is come and go in the blink of an eye. Nothing is really established. We just, in fact, we just talked about um, the status quo that, that Batman is working on now. You know, a lot of that stuff just kind of happened at the snap of a finger, you know? Um, And actually we're two issues into his run and all of a sudden, like, Bruce has rebuilt Gotham with all this stuff, you know? Um, none of this stuff happens with any development anymore. If there's any character development or any world building, it happens in the blink of an eye, you know? Um, I just think that's where we are with comic books as a storytelling, with superhero comics as a storytelling medium slash genre. And I think it's a little disappointing because you don't get the um, X-Men softball issues anymore, right? But right. Um, but on some level, it's what pe- it's what people want. So I don't think you're wrong. You know, I I, I mentioned off air. I'm doing this JSA read through the Society pages every Sunday at Multiversity Comics, and um, I just read. Um, this uh, I, I'm reading this this like ten issue arc of what was supposed to be an ongoing but was cut short of the JSA from '92, and the whole sort of premise of the book is that here are these older heroes that don't feel like they can really do the regular superhero thing anymore, so they're searching for purpose of how to sort of be elder statesmen. And I'm like four or five issues into this run already, and I'm just thinking like, wow, there's really not. There's not like an overarching threat. The threat is the threat of time. And so you're spending all this time with these characters getting to know where they are at this point in their lives and their fears and their insecurities and their hopes. And I feel like if this was a modern comic, you would never get any of that. So I think you're definitely right that that comic storytelling has changed. But I think that the way that comic storytelling has changed that we're not seeing here is usually there is a really quick pitch that you're given now because everybody's conditioned to think of these things like prompts for movie scripts so usually it's the shazam family is doing this and that's the prompt that, that you're given to pick up the issue or the picture pick up the the trade and i feel like i don't even know it the, the shazam family is still in the seven realms or whatever it's called like you know there's just not there's not a pithy pitch for the book right now mm-hmm I mean, there is like a little bit in this issue with, you know, the idea of like Billy having to choose between his two families and um, and, and, you know, the stuff with the the wizard may be a bad guy. I, I feel like this issue was actually the most interesting issue that we've had. Yes. Yes. In, a, yeah. in the whole series, actually, maybe. Absolutely. Um, the stuff with Billy's dad was really intriguing about 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 him talking about uh, King Kid and. Isn't there something we can do to maybe turn him around and yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. So I yeah, I actually am really kind of this issue did like a lot to turn around my perception of this book, I think. Um yeah. you know, I, I think it could be good. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild. I, I do think the book can be good and I think there's a lot of things that happen in this issue that are intriguing. I guess my concern is that like the wizard maybe being a bad guy. Is this the first time we've been teased with that? I can't remember now. I don't I don't know. We really like I really don't know. I think so like the the wizard's council or whatever they're called weren't super great in the new 52 if you remember with like the way that they treated like the trinity of sin and stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, um so there may be something to that i I think maybe the idea that they're not great people johns has kind of like seeded that before but i don't know that we've really gotten anything as overt as as what we have in this issue which could also just come down to being super dickery the way that like the events play out um you know there may be something that we don't know i actually kind of like wonder if um billy's dad is actually not good or something you know yeah, like i, I wonder if there's the something thought. up with them yeah yeah, yeah so again, what i was going to say is like although i do think this issue had a lot going for it i think a lot of the parts in it felt like that part felt rushed to me with with the wizard mm-hmm. and all of that i just I, it's it's a weird and part of that is the release schedule and part of that is just the sort of uh, the whiplash you get from reading modern comics nowadays. But yeah. um, this this issue definitely has a lot of promise to me of 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 new of new ideas that can come from this series. Yeah, yeah. I just hope it comes out on time. Do you, do you think? Yeah. Yes. Do you think they'd make Billy's dad a bad guy, even though they named him after C.C. Beck? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't well, know. I mean, I think there are like six guys in the universe who know who C.C. Beck is and three of them are on this podcast. <laughs> so I don't know how much it's going to affect He is, he is credited in the issue. Yeah. Um, well, isn't he credited in every issue or no? Well, maybe maybe he is. But I mean, like he, he is like credited, you know, with the, the creation of yeah. Shazam. Um, yeah. I also wonder, getting into my crisis theory, like, I wonder if whoever this guy is who's claiming to be Billy's dad is actually, like, like a pre-crisis Billy Batson or something. I've been wondering that. I, I think I said something about the... We, we talked about have. this, yes. Yeah, yeah. we, we thought the, he was going to be Captain grade. Marvel, right? That that was going to be... Because there was that, that issue that yeah. teased it that said, like, next issue, Shazam meets Captain Marvel. That's right, right. and it was that, really just the graveyard. Yes. Yeah. He was, like, looking at his grave... Yeah, but but but, but I, I really wonder, though. Him. Yeah, I I would not, especially like I said, with like Prime coming back, I would not be surprised, especially because in this issue, his dad says to Billy, like, you're called Captain or something like that. He refers to him as Captain. Mm. And no one mm. no one refers to him as Captain Marvel since Flashpoint. So it's not like that's even playing off a nickname. It's not like somebody being like, you know, your call, Dark Knight. Because, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just, it's, it is interesting to see somebody use that title for him. Yeah. Um, so let's do this. Let's take an early break. And when we come back, we will talk about uh, the rest of the comics from this week. 
Sounds good. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with a discussion of Superman number 19. For those that are keeping score at home, this is the second issue of the Truth storyline. Last month, we saw Clark Kent reveal his secret identity to the world, and this month we are dealing with the first sort of uh, fallout of that. I I put fallout in quotes for reasons that will become clear in a minute. This issue is written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Ivan Reyes, and inked by four different people for reasons that we'll never understand. (laughs) Um, so I, I, what I like about this issue is that it really plays with the expectation of what was going to happen when people became aware of who Superman really is, you know, and, and, and the issue talks about that. Bendis talks about how, you know, Clark expected, you know, people to be attacking the Daily Planet, to be outside of his apartment, all of that. And, and no one does that. Everyone just, like, is, is very thankful for him. And I don't know if that makes for great long-term storytelling, but I thought it was a really good approach to telling this issue story. Zach, what did you think? I agree. I really dug this issue. And um, it was just nice, you know? I feel like um, in comics and comics, related media you just you just can't have the hero be happy or in a good place you know i think that was like one of the recurring issues with like say smallville or the like cw shows is just like the constant drama usually relationship oriented but like um even in things like i'm trying to think of like recent comic book examples Nothing's exactly coming to mind. Um, I, mean, I would say, like the 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 Mira Arthur situation, how they can't just be married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good call. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and even to like a degree, like the you know the Tom King Batman Catwoman stuff. You know, having to have like <laughs> fifty issues of Will They Won't They followed by another fifty <laughs> issues of Will They Won't They. Um, but this is just like, yeah, we're doing it, and it's okay. Like, for now, it's okay. And there's even, like, a line in the issue. Let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, he, he he's talking about, he said, um, the good news, if this is one of those days where I might be kidding myself a little, talking about how, you know, being... Uh, you know, happy in the way things are going. You know, he says, I've taken the precaution of always surrounding myself uh, with, with uh, you know, friends who tell me the real truth. So it, it even kind of acknowledges that, you know, things might just appear okay right now. You know, we don't, the other shoe hasn't dropped yet, but um, it's fine to explore like, there is no necessarily like immediate fallout and that's fine. You can let this breathe a little bit. 
Vince? I'm glad you said that, Zach, because we just got done talking about this with Shazam. This comic is almost the antidote to the thing that I, that we were talking about with that. Bendis has really let the Superman books breathe from time to time. And uh, it's a little ironic because I feel like, like Bendis was the one back in the early 2000s who was catching the flack for uh, writing decompressed comics where superheroes just sit around and talk a lot. Um, I am a critic of his Avengers run for doing just that because I think uh, it was too slanted in favor of characters sitting around a table talking and arguing with one another and getting mad at one another for things. I, I feel like a, a hallmark of those books was the Avengers would get mad at one another or, 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 or feel really strongly about something that a group of superheroes probably shouldn't blow up and I can't think of any specific examples but it was something that nagged on me while I while I read that run as it was happening what he's doing here is like a perfect blend of the personal stuff the downtime and the end of the world action stuff and yeah these characters are standing around talking for the first half of this book but there's there's so much interesting stuff also happening kind of in the background. You know, J Jimmy is an interesting ingredient to throw in there. You know, um, I think uh, Ivan Reyes's art is so expressive. Uh, Clark is making so many faces in the first half of this issue, and you know exactly what he's feeling when you look at him. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's times where he looks nervous. There's times where he's got this little smirk on his face, but not like an asshole smirk, like just like a like a like a like a simple country boy smirk. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like like I don't know what to tell you, Perry. Like uh and I, I think he does such a good job with the art that it makes th this conversation interesting to look at. Um I also think, as Zach already mentioned, Bendis steers away from some of the stuff that he did in, in Avengers where I felt like he blew he blew certain things out of proportion when you're talking about superheroes. Whereas here, as you said, yeah, he revealed his identity. You know what? Everything's gonna be fine. And of course, we know we know not everything is going to be fine. There's gonna be some sort of ramification for him doing that. But these characters are not sitting around talking as if it's the end of the world you know that there's there's a very much uh, a tempered balanced approach to everything that's really pleasant to read instead of just you know characters shouting at one another or arguing or just being annoying i think this is such a warm i, I keep describing his superman comics as this but bendis has such a warm take on these characters every all these characters love one another even though they may not always agree or they may, you know, but like it, whether it was last issue, uh, Perry White giving Clark a big hug or just this issue where they're hashing this stuff out. But you can tell that they really care about one another at the end of the day. And that is a great uh, point, because I feel like mm -hmm. in so many superhero comics, even like I think there is plenty of evidence for, let's say, the um, the the Batman Commissioner Gordon Mutual Respect Society, right? But even so, those two guys can never just be at, on good terms with each other. There, there's always conflict within there. 
even even when things are quote good, there is still conflict. And I think that Bendis is happy showing that there are times when there isn't any conflict, and that's such a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And like the dialogue in this is just so good. Um the whole sequence between Lois Jimmy Clark and and Perry is just delightful. Like you like you mentioned Vince with all of the like use of facial expressions and just like how Ben just kind of subverts expectations. You know, I think I had seen the preview images of um you know, Perry telling Clark that he, you know, Clark was fired. And I, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, moving forward, there there are going to be consequences to this. And and while there are consequences, it doesn't necessarily have to go out the way you expect it. Like, he is fired, but he's instantly rehired under, you know, new this new understanding of who he really is. And it's just, it, it's just good, you know? It's just mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. How about that double page spread of the sort of the current iteration of all the Justice Leagues uh, together, mm-hmm. welcome welcoming him back and after what he's done, you know, talk about warm, good. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and, and it's also it's it's great to see like at the minute this was being illustrated by Reyes, who was considered Justice League, yeah, I feel, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like some of this probably has already changed. Um, but, I, I like that Harley is there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Front and center, really. <laughs> yes. Uh, I didn't even actually notice that. I thought it was really weird that all the Justice League Odyssey people were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, how'd they get, how'd they get back? Uh, how'd they get back? How'd they get again? Um, did you guys but notice... But yeah, that is funny, Harley's there. Did you guys notice the bit of metatextual uh, advertising that's in this issue? I don't know. So Perry is holding up this like uh, framed fit photo that says Superman is here. Oh yes, which is essentially the Bendis is coming uh, advertisements it, that DC did before Bendis came over. It, it is it is the Bendis is coming advertisement, and it's the cover to the first issue of Superman. Is it, oh it was it the first issue of Superman? Okay, couldn't remember it if it was that. I couldn't remember if it was that or that Man of Steel miniseries. Uh, no, I think I, you're right. I believe I, it's you're the right. first issue of Superman, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But it's still funny. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, I have to say too, like I, I feel like because Reyes is um, inked by four different people here the tone is not as consistent as we often get when just Joe Prado is inking him. Um, but I, I do really like uh, Reyes as Mongol, even if Mongol is not my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think he does a really good job with the Mongol pages here, which we haven't talked not... about, which, which, which yeah. is, which is launching into the next arc. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is, that that stuff was a lot of fun to me. It um, I have like a soft spot for Mongol because of um, the Tomasi Gleason Green Lantern Corps run, mm-hmm. um, and this reminded me a lot of that in some ways. Um, so yeah, I I liked this part a lot, but especially just like 
see like seeing more of the united planets stuff the early united planets which is really interesting you know it's still kind of i think remains to be seen where bendis is gonna gonna go with this but um it's kind of cool to see him doing the the beginning and the the end with superman and um and legion of superheroes yeah and he's been on that united planets stuff since the beginning because i believe in the very first issue it may again it may have even been in that man of steel miniseries you had the big floating heads of these characters right who were discussing i believe it was rogel czar at the time yes, yes yeah and so he's been he's been with these characters since since he started on this book so it is interesting to i still don't know where that's going um, i think it's interesting that they pop up again here Yeah, that that's a really good point. Uh, just how much of a long game Bendis is playing with this, because one of the nice things about his run so far is that there have been distinct movements to it, and so while it's one overarching story, I feel like you can pop in at the start of each arc and not feel like you had to have read all the prior issues to understand what's going on. But obviously, it's much richer if you have done that. Uh, yeah. Any, any other Superman notes? No, I don't think so. I just, I still really, really like this run a lot. Um, it, it has not uh, disappointed me yet. All right. Well, uh, we're gonna skip over uh, one book to we have the most to say about it. So we'll save it for the end. So let's go right to um, Year of the Villain, Hellarisen, number two, written by James Tiny IV, illustrated by uh, it's Steve Epting. And who was the second artist on this week's uh, issue? Uh, Javi Fernandez, Javi Fernandez, I yeah. believe. Yes, yes. A, uh, a, nice, a, a very nice team to have uh, working together on this issue. Yeah. I may have actually enjoyed his work more, maybe, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I, I enjoyed both. I actually thought this issue visually was very good, and I felt that this issue had some good Lex stuff in it. Mm-hmm. The, the series is still pretty meaningless thus far, but I thought that... I like when Lex is just so head and shoulders smarter than the people he's fighting. And this issue has a lot of that in it. Yes. I wish I had much more to say. <laughs> yes, same. Um, I think the okay. I, I think the two best bits are the Phantom Stranger reveal, yes. which was good, and then the bit with Lex and Mercy, mm. which was a lot of fun. You're not a huge yes. fan of the weird infected Justice League. Of well, here's uh, not 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 one bit. <laughs> here, here, here's the thing about that. That's it. I feel like you could make another criticism of this book again. That uh, we already saw this with Tom Taylor's deceased book. That just feels like it feels like the end of one of those issues where you turn around and oh look look who's infected now you know. 
<laughs> it's exactly the same thing. Um, Were you thinking of Look Who's Talking to? I was yeah. thinking of Look Who's <laughs> Oinking, the Simpsons version of Look Who's Talking. <laughs> no, but I just think that, the, like, oh, wow, he turns around and there's a bunch of infected heroes, and that's supposed to be a big reveal. But, you know, Deceased already did this exact thing with some of these same characters. <laughs> so let's talk about that that infected Justice League for a second, though. So we, we got Miss Martian. We mm-hmm. got Hawk and Dove. Yeah. We got Beast Boy, Booster Gold, Dr. Light, and... Who is that person supposed to be? Uh, mm, on the far right? On the far right, yeah. I think that's Natasha Irons, is I want to bet. Is that supposed to be Steel? That's my guess, just out of costume. Yeah. Um, I think I think you're right. Which is interesting because Beast Boy and Miss Martian and Natasha were all part of the Titans run that Dan Abnett did. We haven't seen Dr. Light in a minute. And Booster Gold's kind of always around. And Hawk and Dove haven't done anything in a long time either. It's just it's an interesting collection of heroes. It yeah. does seem like Tynion was given a list of characters he could use, and he just like picked six off that list or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Although, I mean, we're gonna have six hundred and sixty-six. He, you know, heroes who have gone bad. So he, he may have a whole lot he's going to use. You know oh, what? Um, yeah. That that panel with like Lex seeing the, you know, the infection at six sixty six six sixty six one hundred percent made me think of the um, Vince McMahon gif. <laughs> <laughs> so at 666 his eyes have rolled in the back of his head and he's falling backwards in his chair he's falling off the chair yeah again. basically yeah <laughs> oh, that's funny we have fun we do we do have fun it's fun to have fun yeah <laughs> and yeah. then and then and then the the, the final page like joker reveal again like how how many times <laughs> i don't know okay well so there's my question about this like tynan is writing this book mm-hmm. is is the joker war like i was thinking when joker war was announced which i don't even know if we've actually talked about joker war <laughs> on the pod but it sounded like you know it was going to be a batman arc i've made a lot of i've made a lot of jokes that sound like joker war yeah yeah um <laughs> But this makes me wonder if this is like going to be an event thing and this is going to be like a Joker versus the Batman who laughs thing. That was supposed to happen in this. That was supposed to be what this one was about. No, this one is Lex versus Batman who laughs. Oh, Christ. Oh, man. Shoot me in the head. So here's here is my sort of macro take on this book, which ties into what you're asking, Zach. Um. This is dumb superhero comic booking, but it's dumb superhero comic booking done reasonably well, and it could be a lot of fun if there was like 10% less dark to it, uh, but that 10% pushes it over the edge. But 
I think the problem here is going to be if they try and tie other stuff into this. So if this is just the Joker joining this this comic, that's fine. If this is supposed to spin out into something else, I think it's going to lose the uh, it's going to lose the thread a bit. Yeah, I yeah, think that's I exactly right. It's it's going to feel like this. Uh, Justice do more stuff is just never going to end, you know? Yeah. The Justice Forever War. <laughs> Death Metal. <laughs> it's coming. All right. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up the show with a uh, what I think is a really excellent issue. And that is Wonder Woman number 750. This is the return to legacy numbering for Wonder Woman. If Dan Didio is to, is to, to be believed, this isn't changing anytime soon. That was just Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, but he said that both the Flash and Wonder Woman are going to keep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what if Dan Didio runs for president in like 20 do? years? Honestly, at this point, third most preferable candidate for me. <laughs> Fair all enough. Of, all yes, of his campaign actually. slogans would be based around the phrase reboot. <laughs> so I hope everyone's excited. We're going to start doing a new series of the DC3 cast. Uh, it's the new dc 3 We're going to be going through our endorsement process, and we're going to tell you how we came to endorse Dan Dio. <laughs> we're going to get that guy who grilled uh, Mayor Pete on the bread pricing to be like, uh, I... I heard that you were involved in a company that completely relaunched the entire DC Comics universe twice. Is it true that you did not hold the line at two ninety nine? <laughs> oh wait a minute, that's bullshit. <laughs> there it is. That's the, the one. Proposition that I didn't hold the line is bullshit. <laughs> You know, um, you know his. I'm sorry. I, I said all of his catchphrases would be reboot themed. He would say, "We're gonna hold the line at 270, which is the number of electoral <laughs> votes you need." I think a, a winning pitch for him that none of the other candidates are talking about right now is creating what he would call the New 52, mm-hmm. and that would that would be including Washington D.C. and Puerto, and Puerto Rico, Rico states. <laughs> United States reboot. Yes! Yes! We need Uh, to have a fresh point in this country. (laughs) That was also Bernie. That was Bernie. He's like, look, we're in a crisis, but if we work now, it may not be the final crisis. We're going to start over. George Washington is 18. Uh, it's kind of hot. Then the who would who would I mean uh, the obvious answer is Jim Lee, but would somebody else Jim be Lee? Deep? No, it has to be Jim it has Lee. To be Jim Lee, okay. Um, yeah. Would it be announced as Jim Lee by the convention? It's some. It's been three other people since then. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> and it just winds up being Bob Harris, of course. 
Bob Harris is his Stephen Miller. Mr. Bob Harris. Uh, Brian. <laughs> Come I just, on. I just said Mr. Bob Harris. He, he always Jeff does Johns that. Is, Jeff Johns is like the anonymous leaker who, yeah. who writes the book. <laughs> He's the resistance leader within the White House. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> does that make... Tom um... King. Tom King. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Tom King's the head of the CIA, of course. In this, in this Tom, 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 Tom King is Michael Flynn because he got fired off of Batman. <laughs> Does that make CB Sobolski like uh, Mitch McConnell here? <laughs> CB Sobolski is Kim Jong Un. Sobolski fell in love over beautiful letters. <laughs> beautiful letter pages. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Man. Now that we've Dan lost Dio, 75%. Dandadio gets impeached because in issue 12 of Metal Men, um, <laughs> what happens? Gold, Something uh, happens. Something happens, and he says, I'm getting impeached because I made a perfectly cromulent comic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> That's our best goof in a while, guys. Yeah. Still got it. Still got it. All right. Wonder Woman 750. So we got a, we got a bunch of stories here, and, and we're going to go story by story through the issue. We got, let's see, is it seven? No, it's nine. Nine, nine. jeez. Um, it's crazy. It is. There, there's, a, there's a lot here. The first story is the conclusion to the current arc uh written by steve orlando illustrated by jesus marino the wild hunt is the name of the arc and i think that there's a lot to be said for how how this issue obviously is very much enhanced if you've been reading this run but i think if you came into this issue relatively cold orlando does a good enough job of giving some context without just turning it into an information dump I don't think you'd be totally lost with this story. What do you guys think? I think that's really well said, and I think I think um, I think it's designed to both slot right into Orlando's run and to be part of an anniversary issue that you know a lot of people who weren't reading his run might pick up. And I think towards the end of his segment, he says a lot of things about uh, Wonder Woman as a character that summarize her quite nicely while fitting into his vision for her mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i i can say having i i actually don't remember the last issue of this comic that i read um i think i had kind of fallen off of it right before orlando took over um so coming into this issue was fine you know i got it all and uh, now I actually really kind of want to go back and and catch up because this was good. It Not that good. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it to be bad. I, I should say I, I would did. I will say that I think when Orlando was announced to be coming on the book, I was a little bummed because I really liked what G. Willow Wilson was doing. Um, and, you know, nothing against Orlando because, you know, I loved his earlier work on Wonder Woman. Um, but. That, that did bum me out a little bit, but now I'm kind of interested to go back and read this arc. It's really yeah. good. 
And it does things that you don't expect, like makes the silencer kind of an interesting character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On our guest. Yeah, I mean the w- the way he uses the way he uses that character, uh, both staying true to who she is as a character and also using her to inform the way that Diana would respond to a character like that is so good. And then the way that Diana deals with Cheetah in the end is so perfect. I mean, talk about like a character who gets who Diana is and, uh, you know, G Willow Wilson did too, for sure. Um, but this is just presenting, you know, another problem for her that she solves in the perfectly wonder woman way. I, I, I was like, I was kind of blown away by how that sequence all turned out. You know, it's 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 really quite good, um, and it also does something that I don't know if it was intentional within the issue or not, but the way that the story with Cheetah wraps up is referenced almost later in a different story. Do you know what I'm talking about? The the Rucka one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh again, just like a really brilliant piece of of uh editorial bringing those two stories together in the same issue. Mm-hmm. Um That's a good point. Yeah. Um I wanted to talk about Jesus Marino's art for a minute because I thought it was really, really good. <laughs> um and I think a lot of it also has to do with uh Romulo Fajardo Jr.'s coloring, which has been a staple on this run. I think, like, even since the beginning, I think he colored... No, I guess that's not true. I don't think he colored Sharp. Did he? I think he did. Maybe he did. I think he may have. He may have, which I feel like has given this book a really distinctive um, tone and style, but... I felt like this story in particular had a very classic feel to it. Um, A very almost like 80s feel, Um, kind of like hearkening back to like some Mm -hmm. of the Perez stuff, which I have not read as much of. I know Vince is very familiar with that, but you're spot on. It felt a lot like that to me. Especially, like, that image of her, um, like, getting the lasso back, the one that has, like, the three-panel triptych. Yep. That felt, like, very iconic and classic to me. Um, And even something just, like, as basic as, like, uh, Athena. Is that Athena? No. Yeah. Hera. Hera. Hera, Hera, that's right. Hera's, like, Starfield suit. Mm Mm-hmm. Feels very, very, very Perez. Yeah. So I, I just thought the art in this in this issue was really fun, really good. I mm-hmm. agree. Uh, Marino is somebody who has really elevated his game over the last couple of years. We we just talked about this recently, but he really has. Yeah, yeah. Going back to, um, ah, actually, that's kind of funny that 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 you bring that up, Zach, because about the Perez connection, because when I reviewed the new 52 Superman number one for 
the multiversity project thing. Um, Marino was on art on that. Perez was writing. And it felt like Marino was doing a Perez homage almost throughout that. Mm. Except it wasn't very good. Like some of it was okay, but it was not like this. This book is gorgeous. And I, I felt like that Superman book was a little a little rough. I it felt like a guy reaching to to look like Perez rather than somebody who who does that naturally through their own style to evoke, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, this is this is ten times better than that art was. Yeah, good call. Thank you. So after a couple of uh, pinups by uh, by some really great artists, I have to say there there's probably about ten pinups throughout this issue, and all of them are are very nice, uh, very nice. That, tra- nice. that Travis Moore one is yeah, really nice. A great success. <laughs> um, we then get a short story from Gail Simone and Colleen Doran, and. I feel like it's been a while since we've since I have read a, a Gail Simone story that really resonated with me, but I really enjoyed this Gail Simone interlude. So I had to look this up because I thought this character looked really familiar. Yep. And I think it was actually because she just reminded me of uh, Moon Girl from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur <laughs> at Marvel. Um, but no. But no, it's actually a, a character that. Um, Simone and and Doran created for the Wonder Woman 75th anniversary special back in 2016. Yep. And that I, story I, that story was very similar to this. Um you know, it's just a, it's just a really nice story about who Diana is as a person filtered through the the eyes of a superheroic child apparently. Um yeah, it was sweet. Just very sweet character work. I love stories like this. One of the things I think this issue in general does really well is just keep it keeps pointing back to the humanity of Diana. And mm-hmm. I think that this story in particular does a really good job of that. Also showing both Diana and Hippolyta as big fans of macaroni and cheese. And Which, uh, nothing ooh, wrong with ooh. that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I was hoping you get that reference uh, to a Chris Rock song yeah. from our past. That will go yeah. nameless. <laughs> um, right. I, I don't have too much. <laughs> You're gonna die. Um, so I don't. Uh, I don't have too much more to say about this story in particular, but I just felt it was a really nicely done interlude, and it just shows how much Gail Simone gets this character. Uh, yeah, for sure. I love I love the juxtaposition of, um, I love the ju- juxtaposition of Diana perhaps needing some time alone, and then the 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 child coming and comforting her in some way. Um, that was a really nice moment. I was gonna save this comment for the end of the issue, but I don't want to forget it. And I think it's I think it's applicable here. You know. We have long been beating the drum for a second Wonder Woman ongoing, the way that Superman and Batman have action and detective as well as their their standalone, their, their rather titular series. 
Uh, Sensation Comics was a Wonder Woman comic. It should be back for sure. And I think that reading this issue, I would love it to be a series of of one-shots or small arcs because you see that there's so much of the character of Diana and all these one sh- all these little one-off stories do something very different with the character and there's still so much to explore there. I just I see no reason for them not to do this. That's all. Yeah, no, I think especially with the movie coming out, I would be really surprised if we didn't get a second Wonder Woman ongoing. Although I also think I'm going to, you know, put on my tinfoil hat again and say, I think I would not be surprised if with 5G, we get a one modern Wonder Woman comic and a classic Uh, Wonder Woman comic, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. I I also do want to say that, um, this book gives a couple of different characters who could be interesting 5G Wonder Woman, including the character from Simone's story. Sure. I know we think we know who it's going to be already, but um, regardless. Well, we know who Uncle Rich thinks it's going to be. That's true, yes. Yes, good old Uncle Rich. Uh, all right, that brings us to The Interrogation, which is the name of the story written by Mariko Tamaki and illustrated by... Uh, Elena Casagrande. I think this might have been my least favorite of the stories in the book. And not because it's bad. It's just that I don't think there's been a good Ares story since uh, Azarello's run. What do you guys think? I I kind of liked some of the stuff that Wilson did, but I would, I would mostly agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... I think it was probably my least favorite because it was the most predictable or maybe boilerplate way that you could frame like a a Wonder Woman versus Ares thing. Although I will say, I think uh, Mariko Tamaki is a fantastic writer. And I think like the, the thesis statement that's made about the two characters, I think in writing, I, I think she does a really clever job with it. I just don't think the the overall story is all that interesting. I think the word I think the words are good, but I think it's a it's a little the premise is a little flimsy or a little slight, I guess. Mm. Um, but I th- I think she's such a good writer. Like I think she I think she gets it, and I I think she can get it across the page so well, no matter what she's writing, you know, thinking back to um, Supergirl being super right. She wrote that mm-hmm. um, there. And there were some other, there's some things I read of hers at Marvel. I I don't know whether she doesn't want an ongoing or hasn't been offered one, but she should be on an ongoing book somewhere. Agreed, I feel yes. like I feel like she's only working for the big two in these like small spurts, but somebody should be offering her because she's she's a good writer. Didn't she do a Hulk book? Yes, um, I can't. I, I believe it was a She Hulk, but I, can't I believe remember. it's, oh, I believe it's yeah. when She Hulk was starring in the book just called Hulk. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right. that, yeah, that could be right. Yep. So I was yep. going to say, I thought she did the Amadeus Cho book, but that was Greg Pak. Yeah, yes. I think Pak has had his 
hands. Like he, he, I don't think anyone else really gets to work with Amadeus Cho. Mm-hmm. It's like his baby. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's move on then to the next story in the book, which uh, is, let's see here. It's, um, the, it's the Rucka one. Yes, this is the uh, Greg Rucka Nicola Scott story. It takes place uh, sometime in the future. We don't know exactly when, but this is the story that I felt was sort of referenced or, or rather made a nice bookend to the Orlando story where basically Diana gets Cersei to... Uh, in exchange for the golden lariat, the golden lasso, to uh, use a spell to bring Barbara Minerva out of Cheetah. And I thought that this story was one of the best short Wonder Woman stories we've ever got. It is such a perfect character study of who Diana is and what she would do for somebody, even somebody who has tried to kill her countless times. Uh, yes. Did you guys love the story as much as I did? Yes. It was good. It was really good. And yeah, I think your point about it being like a semi sequel to Orlando's story is interesting just because, you know, not just like Rucka's association with Wonder Woman, but the fact that him and Nicola Scott launched this volume. So. I, I appreciated that. I liked it a lot. Vince? Yep. I loved this. I think it is the perfect distillation of the the Diana, Barbara Minerva uh, dynamic. And I think it's almost like you could you you don't ever have to do another cheetah story like this again, you know? It's because it's all right there. That's everything. Diana's prepared to give up like the thing that she bases her, uh, the material thing that she bases her heroism around to save this one person that she cares about, even though she knows it's probably not going to work and she's going to keep trying until the end of time. It's so perfect. Um, Golden perfect. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, it's good. And Nicola Scott's art is just unbelievable. Unbelievable, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Fajardo on colors again with this one, which mm-hmm. is appropriate. Yeah. And and it being set around Mardi Gras and, and Cersei kind of having fun with that, it was a really nice touch. And also having it, having it not work, and having Diana still want to follow through with her with her part of the deal, mm-hmm. is another perfect little bit of, of writing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. And just to point out an Easter egg, so in the Mardi Gras parade, you've got a Batmite balloon, you've got a, a Mister Mixes Spidlick balloon, and you have a. What I what I have to assume is a reference to a golden age Wonder Woman story, but there's like a plump Wonder Woman balloon. I I, I'd have to go back and look, but that looks so there was this old Wonder Woman story and it kind of gets made fun of from time to time because it's very problematic. 
and it's all about like Wonder Woman becoming overweight overnight due to some like magic or whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's really not. It's it's really problematic actually, but I have to believe it's a reference to that because she looks just. There's something in the face, like it just looks exactly like uh, that old Golden Age story. I have to think that that's a reference. That would be fun. Yeah. Actually, while you guys talk more, I'm going to do a quick Google search. Sure. Uh, the next story is written by Cami Garcia, who is writing one of the seven Harley Quinn books that is coming out right now, and illustrated by Phil Hester. And this is a bit of a sort of a Wonder Woman origin story, but from a perspective we never really see before, which is the idea that she is, you know, uh, sad that she is sort of stuck in paradise and cannot experience the man's world. And I don't know if we've ever really seen that exact take on this before. She's always been somebody who's had a certain amount of wanderlust, but it's nice. I thought it was nice to show sort of how she was dealing in her head with being the only Amazon to not, to only, to only exist on Paradise Island, essentially. Um, Zach, what did you think of this story? It it was fine. It, it, it wasn't my favorite. I really did enjoy the Phil Hester art. Um, but I think it was pretty, um, Forgettable is not the right word, but it, it was probably one of my least favorites, I think. Maybe above the interrogation one, but towards the bottom for me. I think that's probably where it falls for me, too. Uh, maybe maybe there's one other story that's slightly below this one before the interrogation one. Uh, but, but you know, it's, it's still a solid story. And what I have to say about this issue is, you know, there are a lot of classic Wonder Woman creators who are still working who were not a part of this issue, but there was but there was a lot of emphasis placed on putting uh, female creators on this book, which I greatly mm-hmm. appreciate for a Wonder Woman story. And so seeing Cami uh, Garcia write this, I, I think is a, is a nice choice, especially because she has been doing interesting work at DC lately. And Vince just sent us a picture of a very uh, like comically plump Wonder Woman. Yeah, that's that's the old golden age. I don't know what issue it's from, but I, I might be reaching there a little, but I have to think it's some kind of a reference. I don't know. She basically um, looks like if you made a parade float of Danny DeVito and then dressed it like Wonder Woman. Oh, all right. You, you, uh, you, you don't see the DeVito-ness in the face there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I see a beautiful woman. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, uh, no one can stop Vince being horny online these okay, days. All right, all right. Uh, I think Cami Garcia is a hell of a writer, but I, I, I feel similarly to this as I do about the interrogation, where I think the the words on the page are really strong, but I think the overall idea, like, all right, how many times have we seen, um, a somewhat skewed or a different look at Wonder Woman's origin. You know, it's, I guess it's not really her origin, but her time on uh, Themyscira before Steve Trevor lands, you know? Um, 
I, I feel like we didn't gain very much by returning to this. It's not like there were any new wrinkles or anything here, but I think it, I think it was well-written and I think it did give Nubia was kind of a, she wasn't a major, major character, but she definitely had a presence back in the, I can't remember if it was the seventies or eighties. So it was nice to get her somewhere in this book. She had, she has a few pages of this story. So like, it is significant in that way if you're taking like an overall stock of what one what Wonder Woman has been over the last 750 issues, I guess. But um, but as a story itself, I wasn't I wasn't blown away. It was fine. It was nice. Phil Hester art was nice, but it was just fine. Yeah. 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 That when that works. Yeah, when you said Nubia, the the first thing I thought of was uh, Watto in episode one, where he's talking about uh, their ship, and he's like, "Oh, very nice, uh, Nubian, I think." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I thought of chasing Amy. I was just going to say the same thing. Brian, Brian, Brian would know. <laughs> Uh, let's just leave that dialogue to ourselves, though. Let's just say we thought of chasing Amy. Um, all right. So up next is emergency Watto again. <laughs> what? I want Zach to do the the Watto impression again. I'll save it again. We can have a show where I'll do I'll do Watto, you do Babu Frick, and <laughs> and I do the Brian. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh man. Yes, and. <laughs> All right, next up is Emergency Visit, written by Shannon and Dean Hale, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. Let's just get this out of the way. Riley Rosmo is the best. Yeah. And, and yeah. this is a really fun visual issue. I don't know if this is the strongest written issue. I like the overall idea behind it of just that basically uh, Wonder Woman's family lets loose a Hydra to get her to come back and visit. <laughs> As a bit. Um, as a bit. As a goof. As a goddamn goof. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, this story is just, it's a fun premise, and it's a fun visual. I don't think the script was the strongest in the issue, but I still thought it was pretty fun. It was, and, and it had Guy Gardner, you know? Let, let Guy Gardner out of jail. The Guy Gardner stuff was legitimately funny. Yeah. Like, I, I, I put... I, I don't care. Put Shannon and Dean Hale on a Guy Gardner book right now. I know that they usually do uh, like the all ages graphic novel type stuff, mm-hmm. but let's let's get one of those for Guy Gardner because it's the it's the first time I've liked Guy Gardner in forever. Are you hey, calling? Dub, dub. Are you calling for a relaunch of Guy Gardner Warrior? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. As long as he turns into a Red Lantern at some point. Yes. Um, I, I thought that, I thought the script really came around in the end too. Like I, I, I really bought into it by the end that they would summon this Hydra as a bit to get her back. And then, and then her showing back up and saying, you know what? I can, I can take a few days. Um, yeah, I really liked, I was charmed by this for sure. Um, I wish I had more to say about this one. It's just a lot of fun. Well, yeah. and the, I'll say one more thing. The Rosmo art, the way that he draws uh, Diana and has kind of always drawn Diana is very interesting because 
um, you know, we're always looking for a variety of body types in comics, right? I think a common criticism over the, especially over the last couple decades as, uh, as you know, who the people who are reading comic book, the demographics of people who have re- are reading comic books are changing or becoming wider. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to get away from sort of the stock idea of what we think a superhero is, you know, and I feel like that's probably never going to f- totally change, you know, and, and, uh, but I think the way that he draws, uh, Wonder Woman here is definitely with an eye to, okay, what would an Amazonian hero look like? You know, I mean, this is a hulking version of Wonder Woman. I feel like, you know, some artists get that right and other artists, you know, make her kind of uh, slender or a certain way, you know, but like this is. This is like, what if Big Barda were Wonder Woman? I was just going to say, this is the most Barda we've seen Wonder Woman in a while. Mm-hmm. But it's good. I think it's, I think it's great. I agree. Absolutely. I think, there, I think there's room for multiple interpretations, you know, but I think, like, if you're talking about what would be, like, most accurate, this is probably... <laughs> yes. Probably pretty close. Yes. When she's sitting in that chair on Themyscira, she looks like humongous next to her mom you know yes um all right that brings us to the bombshell story uh in this issue it's been a while since we've seen the bombshells um but as has been the case for the entire run it's written by marguerite bennett this one is illustrated by laura braga and um somebody else start this one zach what do you think of this i don't I've maybe read like one bombshells thing ever. Um, and I really, really liked this a lot. Um, almost so much. So I kind of feel like I want to go back and read some of those comics. Um, you just should. to see what's up. It's, it's better. It, it's really good stuff. Um, it's better than any comic based off of a statue line should be. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, I I thought that this was a really good um a really good chapter. Actually, one of my favorites, I think, of the whole thing. Um Actually, if I'm going to be honest, I think it might be my favorite of the like short stories. Wow. I'm trying to think. I mean, I did really like the Rekka one, but uh yeah, no, I think this one was my favorite actually. Wow. I uh, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> um, but I, I thought that this was this is certainly a good introduction to the bombshells universe. If you haven't been reading those or if you've fallen off the books, I guess my problem with it is that, and problem is a strong word, but this really doesn't tell too many new. There's not there's not too much new in this. Maybe that's why I liked it is because I'm not familiar with the property, and so this was kind of like a summary. Mm-hmm. This this was like the whole thing condensed into eight pages for me. Vince, what'd you think? Yeah, I think I well, I I love this as the resident uh, horny bombshells fan of the DC three cast, but uh, somebody who owns like bombshells uh, shot glasses and uh, bottle openers, um, I, I'm a big fan of 
the Bombshells comic and the and Marguerite Bennett's writing on it. I, I think it's some of her best work. I, Zach, I think you absolutely, if you ever get time, should go back and read it. Uh, Laura Braga was one of, you know, a dozen or more fantastic artists that worked on those comics with her. And Braga was perhaps probably one of my favorites. I, I'm thinking back, like Stephen... Um, I think uh, did Stephen Byrne do some work he did, on that? He did yeah, As did, and uh, um, Mar- um, Marguerite Sauvage. Marguerite Sauvage, yeah. Uh, lots of great artists uh, did some work on that, and and the book always looked great. It was a great story. It w- it took a lot of different t- twists and turns that you didn't expect. She was really clearly given license to do things with these characters that she wouldn't be able to do with the mainline versions of them clearly based on this based on this installment uh brian you're right though this is mostly a summary of kind of uh all these different characters and their relationships to one another their relationships to diana mostly um a fitting tribute to her and a gorgeous looking one um if you're looking for new bombshell stories this probably doesn't have what you're looking for but that doesn't make it i mean it was still a joy for me to read um so far removed now from the it's been i think over two years since we've had any new bombshell stuff so it was just nice to see again um i really have a lot of fondness for for that series i kind of miss it um so it was really great to see here and and again i think a very fitting thing to put in a wonder woman anniversary issue because the story did kind of revolve around her spirit. And uh, if you're talking about alternate versions of the character, it's probably the one that is most interesting while also being most true to who Diana is, you know? Um, So I've gushed enough about how much I just like bombshells in general. It's, Zach, I think that would actually be a fun book club thing for us to do in the future is to read a volume of that book. Okay. Yeah. Hashtag Patreon content. There you go. Um, so that brings us to Always, which is written by Vita Ayala and illustrated by Amanke Nahuelpan. I always fuck that name up. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Amanke. Um, so this this is a character we talked about. Um, we have talked about the when was when was Vanessa first introduced? Like the eighties. It was with the Perez run. That's what I thought. Yeah, and then you know sort of brought back in recent time, and I, I think you could you could sort of say about this what you say about what we said about the bombshells story where this doesn't really give us a ton of new Vanessa stuff. It just reinforces stuff we've seen before, but it does so in a in a reasonably nice way. It has a really tender ending to it. Yeah. I yeah. think uh I think uh the creative team really gets the look and feel of again Diana's relationship to the character. So, mm-hmm. Zach, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Oh no, I just said yeah, I agree. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this chapter. So I guess the the only other thing I'll say about it is that um, 
during the Perez run and even even for some time after, I think Vanessa Capitalis was um, Wonder Woman's like human friend that she would return to time and again when she left the island and mm-hmm. and came back to Washington or wherever she was staying. But um, what 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 gets lost after all this time is how much time she spent just as Wonder Woman's human friend. When we, when we look back on her now or wherever, whenever the characters revisited, it's always silver Swan stuff. Yeah. But there were a good 20 to 30 to 40 issues or something. Probably, probably closer to 20 or 30 where all she was, was Diana's human friend. Yep. And her, and she would go and visit, live with, she would stay with her and her mom and it would just be like Diana's tether to humanity. And I, I feel like, yeah, they, they do capture that. They captured that they're friends, you know, by the end of this story. Um, it's a, it's a sweet moment in the end, but like, I, I wonder if people who read these stories realize how much time Vanessa was just the human tether. I always thought that that was kind of, again, that's a thing that you don't see in modern comics very much, you know, um, what, what comic today would spend 20 to 30 issues on, uh, a character being best friends with a, a human character who really has no other role than just, in to the be a se- friend. Yeah. than just to be a friend and have like human, human style dramatics and things go on, you know, it's, it's. It was something. It was special. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and that brings us to our final issue, uh, final story, rather, A Brave New World, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Brian Hitch. Uh, I hate to keep bringing up the JSA, but I've read so many stories involving FDR lately. <laughs> yeah, well, he founded the JSA, yeah, don't you know? <laughs> essentially, yes. Um, and so we get some some more FDR here. Um I, I will say this: uh, th- there, there are a couple bits of this that feel very much like a typical Snyder comic, but it, it didn't do a lot of Snyder's normal tricks we've seen lately, and so for that reason, it felt a little bit fresher to me. And Brian Hitch is an artist who I loved, you know, fifteen years ago, and then went through a period of time where I wasn't so hot on him. And the last year or two, I've fallen back in love with Brian Hitch's work. This is a really good Hitch comic. Uh, I I think I, I think I'd agree. Yeah it it looks like it 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 looks very much like the era that it's evoking, even though it doesn't look like comics from that era. You know. Yes. Um, yeah. the, color, the colors help with that a lot. Who did the colors on this? Um, uh, second. Mike Spicer. Mike's, Mike yeah. Spicer, yeah. But Sean's that opening... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, let's not bury the lead. This has got to be what Dan DiDio was talking about when he was saying that 
the first glimpse into the post-Doomsday Clock, post-Rebirth DC Comics official timeline, timey-wimey stuff. This is it right here. Uh, this is where it begins because this officially reestablishes Diana as the first public superhero, I think, right? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it, it, it sets it up right there, 1939. So so I think we can pretty much, when that timeline comes out, it's going to be built off of this. And uh, also, low-key, could be a, a glimpse into maybe a future Scott Snyder JSA book. If well, He said he wants to write a JSA book. Right. He said that on this mm-hmm. show, I believe. Oh, what if we do get a Snyder hitch i, I kind of world think war ii jsa book kind of think we might i mean we get a little hint of alan scott at the end yeah mm-hmm. not a hint we, we see alan scott we, <laughs> yeah sure sure um but yeah it's um there there's a lot to like in this little story it's it's pretty slight in terms of plot but what it does is it it, it sets up it you know it sets up sort of what the current day timeline is going to look like for DC. And I love that they're doing this right before supposedly fucking with the timeline again with 5G. <laughs> you know, I like how. Which, a... yeah, yeah, which we don't know how that's all going to shake out now. Right, if Uncle yeah. Rich is to be believed. Right. But even if they don't do anything with it, just to show how how all of this connects is very good. And I wonder, we've heard that Flash 750 is going to have the next sort of bit of, of, of the timeline slash 5G, uh, you know, shenanigans in it. And that's, I believe, next month? Maybe I think you're March. right. It's February or March. So we're not that far off from the next step from this, which is great. Um Yeah. I thought overall this is one of the best maybe the best of these anniversary issues we've gotten since Action 900. Yeah, there I really can't remember any between then that really stand out this is definitely head and shoulders above like the action and tech 1000 issues yeah which is crazy <laughs> to yeah. say yeah um i guess we we've missed superman 750 and Yeah, we've definitely missed that. And as far as Batman, gosh, we're probably up in like, we're probably getting close to Batman. No, we've passed eight hundred. Um, did we? Yeah, we would have had to because there were the you know the fifty odd new fifty two issues, and now we're in the eighties. Um, and Batman was in the seven hundreds. That's pre Flashpoint. Yeah. I was thinking about one and if we might see renumbers on those books, but let's see. Okay, so Superman, the the original 
uh, book started in 39. So Batman is around 850 issues. Yeah. Superman would be like um, a little over 800 right now, I think, because it was in like the 17s pre-Flashpoint. Or no, maybe very early 700s pre-Flashpoint. And then the 50, new 52 issues, 50-odd. Um, and then I think the pre-Bendis one had like 30 or 40 issues. See, and now I Bendis is up to 20. I wouldn't be surprised if if there's a conscious decision made to if there's two titles from from one sort of uh, character or team that one of them will have legacy numbering and one of them won't. That's that's true. That's a good point. So like with Wonder Woman jumping up to 750, that gives Sensation Comics number one something that feels special. And I think sure. if you see two JSA comics coming out, one will be All-Star Comics, one will be JSA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, stuff like that. So, we'll see. Anyway, uh, let's do our lists quickly here. Um, on the good list this week, we have Batman Superman. On the okay list, we have Batgirl, Detective Comics, Far Sector, and the Wonder Twins. On the Hill House list, we have Basketful of Heads. The Sandman Universe list is stuffed this week with two books, Books of Magic and John Constantine Hellblazer. The Jurgens list, of course, is Batman Beyond. Red Hood, on the, Red Hood Outlaw is on the Beware the Creeper list. Um, the Punk Rock Jesus list has Batman, Curse of the White Knight. And the DiDio list has Metal Men. Vince, what's coming out next week for us? Ah, God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hmm. What is coming out next week? Action. Uh, is, tomorrow, is is it a light week? It's the fifth week next week, it isn't is it? It's the fifth week, yes. Oh, damn. Okay, it's going to be light. Um, it looks like action. It's gonna, I'm scrolling down here. Dial H11, uh, Detective Comics Annual, I guess. Um, looks like an issue of The Flash. Uh, the final Green Lantern Black Stars. The final, final justice, final Snyder Justice League, right? Yes. Uh, justice League Dark, uh, the Last God Four, if you're into it. Um, <laughs> Suicide Squad number two, Terrifics. That's it. That's all we're doing. Well, yeah. There are a couple of books there that I'm sure will get our attention. Yeah, uh, especially that last Snyder Justice League one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a Snyder Justice League blowout on the DC three cast. Yeah. Well, if you need to get in touch with us beforehand, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian needs a nap, and I am at Woker Fox. If you need Vince, he has just given his two weeks notice to dedicate himself full time to the Didio twenty twenty campaign. <laughs> so look for him on the campaign trail, uh, giving out uh, buttons. Yeah, that say Dadio and Lee, uh, reboot, reboot, reboot. Yeah. And until next yes, time. Yes, we can. <laughs> Not me, us. That was Bernie again. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, so <laughs> until next time, uh, take care, guys. Bye. <laughs>
Uh, Zach, let me put it this way. Uh, if you ever have kids, say say goodbye to ever maxing out in Pokemon ever again. How about no. that? No, I can do it. <laughs>